Welcome to the Sermon B-Side Podcast, a podcast of Liberty Church in the Harrisburg region of Central Pennsylvania. Sermon B-Side is designed to be a resource to answer your questions and to go deeper into the conversation started by each week's sermon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another week of the Liberty Church B-Side Podcast. I'm Steve King. Alongside me is Matt Uloyan. Matt, welcome to another week on the podcast. Good to be with you, Steve. And yeah, excited to uh, kick off a new series, and which means for us some some new uh, some new fodder, some stuff to talk about. New fodder. That's right. Oh, were know. we desperate for it? We're like enough already. No, of we the got Philippians fodder. <laughs> no, we have okay. Philippians went fast. It man. did go fast. I felt it went fast. Ten sermons. Yeah, and I I probably could have done twice as many without having to work that hard to, to stretch them out. There's yeah. just a lot of good stuff in there, but uh, went fast. It fit well just kind of from the calendar standpoint for us to do in the spring together during Bible study group season leading up into Easter. We had a couple other things that we really, uh, as we prayed about and mapped out sermon series for the year that we wanted to do this year. Yeah. So, uh, so we did it, you know, 10 weeks, 11, yeah, 11 sermons over 10 weeks. And, uh, and now we're on to taste and see, taste and see, learning to trust the goodness of God. Yes. Yep. So not working through one book, as we have with Acts That's or right. Philippians, That's now right. we're really on the topic of, of the goodness of God. We're just going to keep all over. keep you guessing. We're just okay. going to like, you know. Where are they going to go this don't, week? Don't put me in a box. That's true. You know, because if you look at the sermon series, <laughs> <laughs> I love inside jokes. Yes. Love to be part of one someday. I'd love to be. Um, so, is that a Michael uh, Scott quote? It is right a Michael there? Scott mm-hmm. quote, yes. Um, so, yeah, we're going to keep you guessing because if you could imagine, and you can, when you're going through Acts or Philippians, where we're going. Yeah. You don't necessarily as like as someone in the pew yeah. or in the chairs at Liberty each week. You don't know what lens we're looking at the goodness of God through. No, and, and I don't even think you tease that. To quote right? Adam Sandler okay. in The Wedding Singer, well, naturally, I have a microphone and you don't, <laughs> so you will listen to every word I have, I have to, to say. say. <laughs> that's a good. That's a good clean quote right there. Well done. Yeah, that's no, pretty thanks. good. That's thanks. pretty good. Yeah. Okay, um, that's great. Well, all right. So we're in the goodness of God series. Maybe just reset a couple of the thoughts here. We're going into this series. We're also in our Bible study groups yep. reading Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. We are. Um, we are. And whether that started last week for some groups, probably most are starting this week. Mm-hmm. This is a supplemental resource alongside the Gentle, I'm sorry, the Goodness of God series. Yep. It is not meant to be a one-for-one correlation of what we're preaching about on Sundays is showing up in the chapters you're reading in the book each week. That is not meant to be the case, purposely so. That's a good clarification. Good clarification. Yeah. That is not meant to be, and that's on purpose. Yes. Right? So don't ask us that. We, yeah, we yeah. yes, we did plan for this. Um, it's actually giving. We're just we're really immersing ourselves in this in, this entire um, pursuit of understanding God's goodness, that's and right. we're, we're using a couple different resources to do so. That's right. And maybe, and just to set it up a little bit, I opened yesterday with this quote from Gentle and Lowly. This is how these two things connect as we're trying to set set up the series and the Bible study groups reading through Gentle and Lowly. Right. Dane Ortland in, I think it's in the introductions, early on in that book. So you'll probably be reading it soon if you haven't already. He says, the Christian life from one angle is the long journey of letting our natural assumption about who God is over many decades fall away being slowly replaced with God's own insistence on who he is. So God is one who insists that he is good, that he loves, that he is for you. Yeah. That, um, yeah, he insists on that. That's his nature and character. Um, 
and that has everything to do with his goodness. Yep. So um, when we get into a series about the goodness of God, and certainly this was true from our opening yesterday, it stirs up all the questions about, well, what about all the stuff in our lives that don't automatically seem compatible with God's goodness? Yeah. Well, Gentle and Lowly, uh, at least in recent years, is a book that, you know, Steve, you and I have read, a number of our other elders and leaders have read. Um, it's like, this is the only imagery that just keeps coming to my mind. It's like taking a bath in God's own insistence on who he is, mm-hmm. on his on His heart for his people. Uh, I think the subtitle of the book is even God's heart for sinners and sufferers, or the heart of Christ. There it is, the heart of Christ for sinners and sufferers. So it's it's all about what is God's heart, what is what is what is God? What does Jesus insist on who He is and, and His heart for people? Yeah. Um, and so, reading that book chapter after chapter is like taking a bath in that heart that He has for you. Yeah. Uh, as as one who follows Him, as one He has created in His image, as one He has redeemed yep. through the work of Jesus. So, as we're learning to trust the goodness of God, we need to really sit in and be and, and just have have it wash over us this insistence on who God is. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the tie-in mm-hmm. between between a series about learning to trust God's goodness and a yep. book like Gentle and Lowly. That's great. Two two thoughts initially from me. Great. Um, one, yeah, the, the heart of Christ for sinners and sufferers. By the way, that's you, that's me, that's everyone. That's so right. right there, it's the heart of Christ for every person. But I do love that subtitle. I've read this book, I've, and I really like a lot of the content in it. Um, for sinners and sufferers, like even that, we could parse it out more than just that, but even that initially I think is helpful yeah. as you read this book. Um, you know, we can, as Christians really quickly say something like, well, sin is the, you know, sin is what causes all of the brokenness we see in the world. That's right. And what we read, what we, what we're learning, we'll be learning more about God's goodness is that, well, we suffer as a result of that. What do we do with that? Yeah. It's one thing to, it's one thing to, um, categorically understand that sin leads to brokenness. Right. It's another thing to like now wrestle with this personal experience of suffering and answer the questions of like a question like, and you had, I had this in the sermon a little bit yesterday. If God is great, can he, like, you said yeah. yesterday, like how can God be great, but not and, and great and good. And right. like, he's either, he's either one or not the other. That's what it seems. It like. seems as though he can't be both. Cause if you were great, then everything would be good. There'd be no suffering. Yeah. Right. And well, if you can do that, well, then maybe he's not great. Right. Right. So we wrestle with those questions. Yep. And this has been, you know, historically maybe referred to at least recent centuries as the problem of pain. That's right. Yep. Problem of suffering. I mean, there's different names given to this, this paradox, this, this struggle um, of, of God being both great and good. God being both sovereign and, and benevolent, you know, yep. how, how do those things fit together? Um, it seems like those are in conflict with each other in various circumstances. And, right. and that's, that's part of this learning to trust. Yeah. God's goodness. The other, the other thought was this, yeah. and I don't want to go on a, we won't go on a tangent here because we want to have some good questions. We want to get, get to the great ones. Yeah. But this came up, as you said, you're preaching yesterday. It came into my mind. I wanted to say it here, Dane Orland's quote yeah. about, and, and you, you said it eloquently because you, well, you read it. I read it. You, again. You, sure. You read it really eloquently, <laughs> exactly with the eloquence with which he wrote it. This is why I spent a lot of money and time going to seminary. That's right. So I could read other people's quotes about God. Inherent. That's great. Inherent in Orland's quote. Is this recognition, and I think it's actually a reality, and I think it's a it's a um, hot topic right now, maybe. Sure. Deconstruction mm. is a natural part of growing as a Christian. So you're taking that term that's been mainly right now applied to people leaving Christianity. That's right. Yep. And saying there's actually something good about it. There, I think there is. And so 
what Orland is even talking about is like, you know, throughout our lives, we have to deconstruct yeah. how we understand God's goodness, what it really is, yeah. and how we have to make sense of the life that we're living and the experiences that we have. Yeah. Now, I think we're culture and we're like, we, we're, we see a lot of problems with this right now. And again, I'm not going to mean to go on a tangent, sure. but it's there. And I just want, if it's any encouragement for any, anyone to hear, the problems exist and well, how, what do you reconstruct with? What do you rebuild? That's yep. right. What are you rebuilding? Yep. And so, and also let's not deconstruct ever for the sake of it. You know, sure. um, let's not just like, not every tool can be a jackhammer. If you find tools that are only jackhammers, they're only meant to destroy. Yeah. That's probably not a helpful tool. Yeah. In, apart from maybe the, the, the specific application of it. Mm. Right. But the Christian life, I think, is filled with a lot of moments of deconstruction and reconstruction. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And, and that's, I think, a really good thing. So that's that, a, that could be its own podcast from, from us. No doubt. Right. Just no a, doubt. Just a small topic to open that's right. up there. Yeah. But maybe my encouragement to people would be let's not be so quick. I'm not accusing anyone of a church of doing this. I've, I've felt the struggle and the tension in this. Yeah. Because we see in the, I mean, what, I don't know, the news, social media, like all this, you know, we get, we get, you know, overwhelmed with stuff that we see um, outside of probably our, like our circles, but even within our circles, whether it's a family member, younger, older, peer, whatever it may be, when we see people deconstructing their faith, I actually think that's a great opportunity for us to really engage that person well. It's really good. And, and not just for their sake, but for ours. Yeah. You know, for us to be people that when we're helping people reconstruct, mm-hmm. that it challenges our own assumptions yeah. and maybe assumptions that we've had that have been unhelpful yeah. and we're kind of hiding, we're kind of stuffing stuff in closets in our, in our mind or in our lives. We're really mm-hmm. not wrestling with um, the fears, uh, the shame, yeah. the tragedy that we have in life. And we, we end up not getting to know God as deeply as we could. Yeah. Because we we hide things in ourselves. And so mm. deconstruction can be really helpful. And I think I just heard that yesterday in Orland's quote. In yep. that is this idea of deconstruction. Yep. But now what we reconstruct with, super important. Very obviously. important. So, yeah. But his yeah, his line about <clears throat> letting our natural assumption that's right. fall away. That's right. You could say that's that's another way of saying deconstruct. Yep. That's another way of saying let let these things that we've gotten deep into our minds, deep into our souls, um, about you know, how God operates in the world, how God does things, how greatness and goodness fit together. That's really well said, Steve. Yeah. And, and, I don't, and, and it's like, I don't want to overapply that word right now. It could be its own hour long discussion. I mean, you're getting, you, you did, the sweatshirt just came off. I just, you're, you're, you're getting going. Here we go. Well, it's, it's, it's hot in the office today. I don't know why. It's warm in the office. We I don't know if it's spring outside or if it's not spring. We've had five fake springs. I don't know how to we dress. Have. Yeah. I don't know what I'm doing. No. I'm you were deconstructing your I, wardrobe. I was. I took off my sweatshirt. <laughs> now, what do I reconstruct it with? Well, time will tell. We'll time see. will tell. Okay. Time will tell. But that's really that's really well said. And to to even give freedom to each other, even for example, in your Bible study groups, and especially in a series like this, to to anticipate, to expect that this will stir up some stuff for one another in your groups. So yeah. so go in with a posture to your Bible study groups, allowing that and not being afraid of. That kind of process and posture. If you if you're um if you're a, a theologically robust you know if you've 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 been around churches for a while you've got your your systematic the, theological categories mm-hmm. down. Yeah. A, 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 a conversation in a Bible study group like this could be frustrating for you, and you could want to hurry to the to the con- to conclusions. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. And I would say people need to, and I would say even you need to, if that's you, um, continue to 
be formed in these things. And I, I keep going back always to this phrase that John Calvin used about learned ignorance. Mm. Even if you know that the conclusion to some of these things is that, well, we can't know, we can't know exactly how the sure. greatness and goodness always fits together of God. Can't always know that in every circumstance. Um, John Calvin's thing was like, you should still give yourself to the process of trying to understand. You yeah. should still delve into what God has revealed. You should still delve into God's insistence on who he is. And man, I, I tell you what, um, if you come from that kind of mold that I was describing where you're kind of, you love systematic theology, that's me. That describes me. Uh, gentle and lowly was phenomenal and challenging <clears throat> sure. in a way that I wasn't necessarily expecting, but yeah. was beautiful. Yeah. So I, I would hope even that that's the case for some folks in our church, but just to, to go into your groups with a posture and tone that expects and anticipates this is, this is going to like, and hopefully it does. We, we actually would love for this to be the case that it actually draws people out and, and actually surfaces some of that lifelong process of yeah. learning to trust God's insistence, yeah. which in the process goes all over the place That's right. and, and creates real, real struggle. Right. It's good. Well said. Hey, yeah, some good questions came in. Let's jump to them. Let's move to them. Okay. Um, and, and maybe I'll, I'll ask you like to talk about the sermon yesterday as we walk through some of these sure. questions. Yeah. Right? Instead of like start with a recap right now yeah. as, we're, as we're already running here. So off and running. So here's a question that came in. Um, love the sermon yesterday. Excited about this series. So a little bit of a compliment. They're buttering you up as the question comes yeah, in. Here we go. Right. Let's Flattery. see, Let's see what happens <laughs> now. Okay. The point that Matt made, um, that no one is collateral damage in God's plan for the mm. sake of the good of others. Mm. It really struck me and brought up a question. Um, how do we square the idea that no one is collateral damage with verses from Colossians 1 and Philippians 2, where Paul describes himself as suffering for the sake of others? Yeah. Personally, this person says, I found a lot of comfort in these verses and the idea that nothing is wasted, that our sufferings are for the sake of his body, the church. But it also rings true that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. Would love to hear uh, what you all think about what these two uh, things that seem contradictory on the surface, how do we interact with each other? Um, so, Matt, that's the question. Kind of read question. through it all. Can you give a recap of that of that one comment you made and that that um picture that you you painted there. Yeah, there was, so I quoted Carolyn Custis James a couple times yesterday. I really thought her stuff was helpful um, in this particular area and other areas too. She's got some other great stuff, but I'm trying to remember now, I, I think the, I think the phrase collateral damage might also be hers. The one, the one that came to my mind was a cog in God's machine. Yes. That God has like a, yep. like a... You said the same, yeah. So, so just to make sure I attribute that well, I don't think I maybe did in the You moment. eloquently quoted... Yeah, like her. I think I think collateral damage is also a phrase that came up in her book. Okay, my mind goes to this this picture, this mental picture of, you know, this machine that kind of produces good things, God's good things. But there's got to be some some cogs in it. There's got to yeah. be some some machinery that just kind of makes that work. Uh, the idea with collateral damage being that, you know, that God brings good things out of other people's sufferings. You know, I might look, Steve, for example, at your life and go, you've been through some hard things. Here's some suffering I've seen you go through. That's taught me mm-hmm. some things as I've observed vicariously, or I've seen yeah. your faith through that. And that's encouraged my faith. Right. Yeah. So that's an example. Yep. Um, but, but where, but you might be going as the one who was maybe suffering intensely in that moment. Well, where does that leave me? Yeah, like I, sure. yeah. and, and, and that's the idea of collateral damage that there might just be some people that their whole purpose, <laughs> this is like, not to make light of this topic because it's a great topic, but you know, those, um, the successories posters 
and then the, like the the, the business the business oh, yeah, okay. accessories yeah. right it was yeah. like teamwork yes, and all that yeah, kind of right. stuff yeah. there's like the flip side of yeah. those like the, I forget what they're called it, it's something um, like, it's something like the anti value posters of some sort yeah, yeah. the anti leadership or yeah. yeah they're they're like uh, it'll come to me at some point yeah but um, there's one about failure. Okay. That says like it might be that the purpose of your life is to serve as a warning for others. Okay. <laughs> like right. it's like it's right. like and I think so that's a that's a thing we laugh at, right? We're like right. um a demotivational poster. Yes, that's what they're demotivational. There it is. That's right. Demotivational yeah. poster. Right. Um and that's funny for us to laugh at as like a joke, like a you know, kind of a parody of the successories posters. Right. It's but the reality is actually, and this is some of the assumptions that we start to get into our into our soul about God, is that we we start to think, oh man, well I'm the my life, my whole purpose of my life is to serve as a warning to others. Like right. that God actually isn't good to me. He's good to other people and uses me to be good to other people. Yeah. So um that's the the recap. I think this question right here. Is really good, and I think it's a I think it's a both and. Mm-hmm. So so what this person's referring to Paul's words in Colossians one, Philippians two. I'd throw in there um, the beginning of Second Corinthians is all about this as well, where um, nothing is wasted, and that the suffering we go through is used for mm-hmm. the good of other people. Mm-hmm. I would say yes to that, and that's actually um, still hard. <laughs> it's not easy, but that nothing is wasted, and that God does use our suffering even for our good and for the good of others. Um, the, the place where you would cross a line into an assumption about God that would not be true is if, is if in that it was only about your life serving the good of someone else and that yeah. God actually wasn't caring about you and yeah. your good, that yeah. you somehow became expendable to God. Right. You somehow became, um, it was okay to do, to, only give and show you evil mm-hmm. because this other person needed to see some good and you were the one that had to kind of fall on your sword in order to, to right. make that happen. Right. So I, I would say both and your suffering is used for the good of other people and that God is good to you as well. He's, yep. He cares about you in those moments too. Yeah. That's, I would say it's, it's, it's not an, e- it can't be an either or if it's right. an either or, um, it's too reductionistic. It's got to be. A, it's got to be a both hand. Right. Yeah, that's true. That's well said. There was another another question that came in related to that. Someone else said that 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 idea of being collateral damage very powerful. Asked maybe, hey, can we expand on that a little bit more? How have you seen that playing out in other people's lives? So yeah. you know, you get you gave some general examples. You actually reference them now. Yeah. Um, do either one of us want to share examples of where we've seen that in culture or, or even in our own lives? The, the, the one that comes to mind for me would be, so it, it tends to be more the case for someone that has like lifelong, really debilitating circumstances. Yeah. And it's like, it's not just an intense season of suffering. Mm -hmm. It's not just like hard things that happen, tragic things that happen, Mm -hmm. not at all to minimize how intense those things are. Mm -hmm. But I think of someone, so here, like, I can use this person because they're a public figure and they talk about this all the time. But you think of someone like Johnny, Johnny Erickson Tata, yep. who I forget, it was, she was diving somewhere, a lake or something, broke her neck at like 16 or 17, has been yep. a quadriplegic ever since. And you think that, that's not just like an intense moment or, or even like a decade of like really hard things happening one after the other. That's like your whole life is now different. Right. Your every aspect of your life is now relationships are different. Yeah. You know, everything. Work is di- everything's different. Um, and I think of people like that 
who, if, if someone's going to really struggle deeply with this idea of collateral, that them being collateral damage, mm-hmm. I think it's going to be someone like that, mm. um, who like their whole life has just felt like, like, how do they square that? That their whole life is affected by this thing that happened and it's their whole life is different now. Yeah. How do you square that with God being good to me? Sure. And I think actually even to, to double down on that example, Johnny Erickson Tata has written some phenomenal stuff herself about it. I actually just read in the last several months a book of hers called uh, The Healing Place, mm-hmm. uh, maybe A Healing Place, where she just talks about how she's wrestled through that. Yeah. Um, so for her, she's seen God use her life in incredible ways to sure. bless other people and encourage other people <clears throat> and also had to fight really hard to go. And this is somehow God being good to me. There's something in this yeah. that, that God brought about yeah. ultimately for good. Yeah. Not that, not, you know, she has a great quote that actually comes up in conversations is really helpful about this. That says, um, God permits, sometimes God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Mm-hmm. The is God, that her quote? I've that's heard that. hers. I've heard I, that before. I yeah. think that's, I think okay. that's Johnny Accentata. And, um, and I think that's her quote where that's, that's, that's what I, you know, that quote is like the, um, it's the gold that she mined for over how many decades sure. of her life going, yep. man, there's something good in this, even for her, for me, she's saying, um, that God has brought by permitting, by bringing about this thing, this, you know, this, this, this quadriplegic yeah. life uh, and all the like things that that entails um, that God has brought something he loves through something yeah. through, through an effect of sin, yeah. you know, not, not her sin, but like yeah. the, the brokenness of the world that this happened. Yeah. Um, God has brought about something he loves by permitting something he hates. Yeah. That's a good example. And I think someone like her is, is a great example and people that have lifelong kind of battles. Um, and I think as you're saying that, so I've, you know, yeah, I want to share my own perspective on where I've seen this in maybe my own life. Um, but that idea of when you say for good, God's using this for good. Yeah. So two things that come to mind where I'd go, hey, lean into this if this makes you really wrestle with the goodness of God. Yeah. Um, one, we, like we as Christians can say something like, well, God's going to use this for our good. God's working all things together for our good. Yep. Well, when does the good come? <laughs> we kind of like, well, what does that mean? It's good. Is that I'm willing to embrace that. It's kind of like, it, you know, I can use athletic met, uh, metaphors sometimes real quick. Yeah. Hey, there's things that are hard about training, mm-hmm. but you know that the end of the training, there is a, there's a reward, there's a prize, there's a satisfaction, there's a, a there's a, a preparation you're building for the competition. Yeah. Right. So sometimes you, you motivate yourself to embrace the suck, mm-hmm. right? That phrase of like embrace the suck yeah. sometimes for what comes. Yeah. Right. It's like, this is, this is going to work out for my good. Yeah. And sometimes we can want to find God's purposes in that and that's okay. But then when the good doesn't come, we're like, well, where is the good? Where's the like, good? where's the good? Who will um, show us some good? That's the, who life. will show us some good. You talk about that yesterday, right? Yeah. The, the other piece of that, um, working for, for good is, um, this idea of like asking, like, re- like I needed that. Like I really needed that. Hmm. Like God, there's something when God brings this challenge and we're like, like God's using that for my good. There's this like little, little self-reflection of like, did I, I really needed that. Yep. I, like God in his, in his sovereignty decided that I needed that. Mm-hmm. Whether that's a failure or a challenge or yep. a shame, yep. right? Like a wound, um, a something, you know, a, a being caught in sin. Like there's something that God goes, you need this. Mm-hmm. And that is a really humbling thing 
for any of us to wrestle with if we're willing to wrestle with it. Because like most of us probably would tend to walk around going like, Hey God, give me, give me a little bit of challenge here or there. Steer me, guide me. But for the most part, I got this. I'm going to be okay. Yeah. I'm going to make wise choices. Like I don't need something severe in my life. Yeah. Um, and so that idea of like, it's going to work for my good. That causes us to question sometimes, like if, if God really is giving us what we need, because yeah. we don't think we think we know what we need and for we sure. don't. And we don't. And we got to wrestle with that. So I'm not trying to like land that plane completely right now. I'm just like, it was coming to mind for me yeah. for two ways that maybe we could wrestle with the idea of something being good or not for us. That's right. Well, and it and it so often requires, Steve, you did this earlier with the word deconstruction, something we call reframing, <clears throat> um, where you have to like, so deconstruction, if that has a bad, you know, you were saying, they don't throw that term out because you're, you're reframing like, hey, deconstruction actually has a value and we're always yeah. deconstructing. It's actually, a, it's good. Yeah. I don't want to use the word. Yeah. Whereas if I just look at that and I read kind of stories about deconstruction happening right now, I'd go, deconstruction's bad. Right. And you're like, well, that what they're describing, yeah, that's tragic that people are walking away from Christianity. But the actual concept of deconstruction is not bad. Correct. You're talking about, so the idea of reframing is like, and that's that's constant with this idea of of the goodness of God. Like we might it's easy for us to point to the circumstances that go well in our life and say, that's, that is the gift of God's goodness. And it totally is mm-hmm. totally is mm-hmm. like he, he gives good gifts, right? He doesn't give us uh, a serpent or a scorpion instead of, instead of, you know, like he, he, he gives good gifts. Yeah. Um, but, um, but also that often the good that is found in the miserable circumstances has to do not with the circumstances, but, but like the depth of communion, the depth of, Paul talks about sharing in the fellowship of Jesus' sufferings. Like, the, the you actually, there's a, there's a kind of quality of relationship with Jesus that can only come through circumstances we would never call good. Sure. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. so we would look at that situation yeah. and go, well, like we look at Johnny Erickson Tata, for example. No one would opt for this. Would I go like, hey, it's good she became a quadriplegic? <laughs> right. I would never say that because right. that's not nuanced enough. Mm-hmm. That, and that feels like, that feels like I'm just like, slapping her in the face by yeah. saying like, Hey, I'm glad you were paralyzed. Yeah. Like it's it like, which of course I don't mean, right. but, but you can say with this more nuanced perspective, I see how God brought about a depth of character and sweet communion with him that few people in this life experience mm-hmm. through these tragic circumstances. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you so, so yeah. it's good. But man, you're going to have to parse out a little bit like yeah. what that means, like yeah. to your point. Yeah, practically, I've, I've thought that another way. You've said that, you, know, you said that much better than I'll say it right now. But like looking back sometimes in my life going, I'm not grateful that that thing happened. Exactly. But I'm really grateful for the way that God has come alongside me, revealed more of himself to me in my pursuit of him, humbled me mm-hmm. to experience his goodness as I still wrestle with it. Right. It's like That's right. So you don't have to look back on everything you experience in your life. And go, oh, I'm grateful that that happened. Yep. Yep. Um, And you've got, so like, you know, biblically, right? I'm sure we'll touch on this at some point in the series, but you've got like Joseph is a great example Mm -hmm. when he wraps up Genesis and says what you intended for evil, God intended for good. That's right. Uh, I always go to Ruth. Um, Ruth, there's like, so the whole, most of what we have in our mind about Ruth is this beautiful redemption story. Sure. Boaz redeems Ruth and from it comes the line of David, comes the line of Jesus, right? (laughs) It always struck me when we did Ruth like years ago. Yes. 2013, 2012. Is it that long ago? It's been a minute. Oh boy. Yeah. Gosh, that's been almost a decade. (laughs) Okay. Um, and we, what struck me in Ruth in a way that never had before was like the first five verses of Ruth are absolutely miserable. 
And they're all about, you know, they, they have to leave because there's famine. Yeah. They go to Moab. Yeah. Uh, Naomi's husband and her two sons die. She's in an enemy nation far yeah. away. From, and, and like the timeline is like at least a decade, if not multiple decades. Yeah. Condensed into five verses. Yeah. And then the rest of the book, which is like four chapters, right. is all about like this other couple year window where everything goes well. Like right. where, where like you see this stuff get worked out and yeah. you see the God intended it for good. But you're like. But don't minimize the fact that there was like two decades of just utter misery yeah. yep. <laughs> that we just like, you know, in scriptures condensed into five verses. So we just read it real quickly. Yeah. there That whole thing, like where Joseph is able to say at the end of that story, what what you intended for evil, God intended for good. But like, what's Joseph thinking when he's when he's like left for dead in the pit? That's right. What's Joseph, you know, what's Joseph thinking when he's in jail because he's been falsely accused by Potiphar's wife? Like right. what's like there's a whole thing that plays out there yeah. that I don't think every day he was waking up like whistling zippity doo dog going like, God, well, that song didn't exist yet. Oh, that's right. He didn't. Okay. Yeah, that's he right. Didn't know that. that's right. He, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, hey, I want to hold you accountable here. <laughs> I have a job to do. The, so. You know, but then like he wasn't getting up every morning going like, man, isn't God good? You know, like, hey, yes, he, like right. he was, he's having to yeah. fight. He's in his flesh also wrestling with this. Yeah. yeah. He's having yeah. like, I have to imagine Joseph is fighting for that every day. Yeah. Especially in those moments. It's good. Forgotten for two years, you know, all that stuff. In yeah. So anyway. I don't want to belabor this point. One, one more thing to yeah. say about the collateral damage where I've seen it in my own life. Yeah. Um, not sometimes. And I, and I think back to even being a young kid or like going high school, college, like this is many years looking back going, oh yeah, there's a moment of I've been prone to not look at something and say, not, not feel... Um, discouraged yeah. as if I'm collateral damage, yeah. but to feel excited uh-huh. to use the thing that happens to me to help someone else learn from it. Mm. And yeah. so we're, so for me, again, <laughs> this could be an hour long or two hours long. We have to, I'll guard our time here a little bit. I imagine there's different ways that we as Christians can experience this. If we're prone to wallow in discouragement, which is yeah. probably an unfair word. I don't mean like, but to sit in discouragement yeah. um, as if we're collateral damage or to avoid really wrestling with the emotions and the disappointments and the sadness that comes from things we experience because we're so quick to want to clean it up and write a book about it. Sure. I've not written any books, so you just know that. I've not written any books. But like, I, I say that as like a little bit yeah. of a way of saying like, oh, yeah. let me quick use this thing that God has taught me, dress it up real nice, help someone else grow, and in, and, and kind of avoid actually sitting in the discouragement. Right. So I, maybe that's, I, I'm feeling a little bit of a nuanced application of this collateral damage showing up, I think, in some circles of Christianity or probably, and maybe our church is like, you could have, we could have some of you all Christians like me in that too. Yeah. That use the things and we just brush we brush by them so quickly and we don't sit enough with the sadness. Yep. And we're avoiding really wrestling with God. That's right. And right. I can think about times in my life, multiple times, where it wasn't until a year or two or three years later that I finally was like mad at God. Yep. Like mad and going like I'm really upset. I'm shaking my fist. Yep. I'm just angry. Yep. <laughs> it's like right. it took and, that long. And it like, took that long. Yep. And that was like the most honest I was before God. And then I had to like reconstruct mm-hmm. or reframe and understand, learn, not a, not find it, not find a truth for the first time, mm-hmm. and not create truth, but like go sit more deeply in the truth of who God is. Yep. So I just want to throw that out there. If any of you resonate with that, I think, and I think 
I think people will, man. I'm always, I'm always like pretty cynical when people turn around real quick with that, <laughs> sure. wanting to write right. that, right. wanting to write that conclusion. Right. Um, it's, it's, this is not what Jesus talks about in the parable of the sower. He's talking about people actually receiving the gospel, but it seems to me almost like that's the imagery that comes to my mind is like when these things happen in life, there's like the, like the, the, um, the shallow soil, right? There's yeah. like the, yeah. and then the seed takes real quick, mm-hmm. but it's actually got no root. And I think that's sometimes right. when you try to rush through to go like, but there's goodness right here yeah. without actually really allowing there to be a depth of that cultivated. Sure. It, it might spark up real quick. And I, I mean, there's, there's right. examples of this. There are books. I mean, that's a great story, right? Something horrible happens. Publishers are like, they pounce on that stuff. They're like, you, yeah, I'm buying the rights to that book. You write that book. Well, you know, beautiful story of redemption. I've, you know, I know people that have been involved in, in like those stories yeah. that like, Hey, actually, if you f- keep following their life from that moment that they wrote that book about how great redemption God had brought, it actually got really worse got for them worse. after that's, the book was right. written. That's right. Yeah. And you're like, it's like, okay, all right. I love, I love redemption stories. Yep. I love redemption stories, but there's sometimes that real shallow soil that like, yeah, and it springs up real quick and you try to like go, well, I'm ready to help other people. It's like, okay, maybe, but yeah. like, but like. There's some depth. There's some depth to be found here. The the, the, the jaded, cynical uh, approach there, like, came out when I resonated with a quote I heard last week. Someone said, "There's a lot of there's a lot of great marriage books written by twenty somethings that have been married for less than five years, <laughs> and there really are, right? If you like, you go find. Like are there really? Yeah, sure. You can oh, find gosh. books. You've been married for a couple of years yeah, and write books. And it's like, don't read those. what are you talking about? What, do you, what have you learned? Don't, don't read anyway, those. All right, let's move on. Let me move us on. Let's do it. Um, I know we're, we're getting, we have a long podcast already here. Stay with us. Okay. Um, we'll try to stay on, stay on topic here, which we have. But all right, next question. In the sermon, you talked about God being angry at death, mm. using Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus, at Lazarus as an example. I always thought God was angry at sin itself rather than the consequences of sin. I don't see the anger of Jesus at Lazarus's tomb. Can you explain or clarify this point? Yeah, really good. So in John 11, it, uh, it's a word that's translated, Jesus was deeply moved. Um, I'm trying to look that up really quick. Deeply moved. Okay, there it is. Uh, John 11, 33. When Jesus saw her, that's Mary, weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? That word, that phrase, deeply mm-hmm. moved, could also be translated indignant. Uh, and it's the same word that it's, uh, it says in verse 38, uh, Jesus was deeply moved again, came to the tomb. Yep. So um, it already is saying that he wept there. So I don't think John's just trying to say like he wept and he was deeply moved in like an emotionally sad way. I actually think that translation of indignant um, is the better translation in John chapter 11. So that, and that's, that's where that idea of Jesus got angry at death came from. Mm-hmm. He was indignant. He was moved. The emotions that came out of him at that point were sorrow and <clears throat> sadness. You know, so sometimes we're angry and it's like a surface level emotion that covers up sorrow. Like yeah. we're actually sad about something, but it's just easier to get angry. I think yeah. Jesus fully human, but also fully God being angry without sinning um, did both. Mm-hmm. I think he got angry at death. Yeah. And saw this is this is death itself is something that's not supposed to be this way. That wasn't yeah. that wasn't there. Yeah. Death is the death is the intruder into God's good design. Yeah. God's good design did not include it. And so there's this is this moment, Jesus even even preparing for his own death, but seeing Lazarus dead, a person that he loved deeply, 
his sisters who he loved, their friends. He sees what this has done and he says, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Right. So that that's where that idea of Jesus coming, being angry comes from that. that It's often, at least in the ESV, translated deeply moved. I think it means indignant yeah. or angry. Yeah, it's good. It's good. So the next question. Um, be angry, but don't sin. Mm. Right? From, from scripture you talked about yesterday. Here's a question that asks, it seems to me that there are... Uh, there are there are directions that sin travels. He identifies three of them. Okay. Vertically, between myself and God. Horizontally, between myself and another. And he calls it circularly. Circularly? Circularly. Yeah. yeah. All right. Against myself alone. Okay. So me sitting right against okay. myself. So can you discuss where anger arises in times of sin and hardship in these three vectors and how mm. to navigate the good and bad responses? Mm. Um and I'm just reading yeah. the rest of what they put there in parentheses, see what applies. Let's start there. Okay, man. Yeah, great question. So that's so we were in Psalm 4 yesterday, right? Yep. We, we were going to talk a ton about that, but that's where the psalmist, where David is saying at that point to his friends, to faithful companions, uh, be angry and do not sin, ponder these things. He's, he's, he's giving them counsel for what to do with these, with these wrestlings and questions. Right. So, yeah, so where does sin travel... Uh, hardship between the, between <clears throat> myself and God, between myself and another, and against myself alone. Well, I was wondering. If the, uh, yeah, go ahead. I, I was wondering if the um, if they're asking what are examples of where you could be angry but not sin, mm. or where does the line of sin come in those three? Yeah, that's good. Is that what you heard? Maybe not. Yeah, that's okay. okay. Yep, okay. that makes. Yep. So I think in our relationship <clears throat> with God, I think that's you'll also see that in the Psalms. You'll see you'll see, and, and you see it in Job. You see Job comes to mind for me. Yeah. Expressions of anger directed to God. And um I think knowing the kind of people that are listening to this, knowing the kind of people that set up shop at Liberty Church, I would say are you listening through their social media? I am are you are you no. are you like Google? Are you the Google <laughs> pastor? No. No, no, no desire. Okay, I'm kidding. Okay. No desire to do that. Right. But um Probably my, my just pastoral counsel on this would be don't get so hung up on whether you're, you have sinful anger against God or like mm. sinless anger against God. Just go to God with the emotions. With the, that you yeah, have. Okay, sure. I think, I think most people from <clears throat> our camp would, would more get paralyzed in the like, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this to God or actually like voice this to God, or bear my soul to God and what I'm actually experiencing. Sure. Yep. I think they'd be more nervous to go like, well, you can't, surely you can't say that to God. I would say, just take it to him. Yeah. And what we even see in Job, for example, like where does Job cross the line to a sinful version of anger? Somewhere before chapter 38 or yeah, whatever right, it is where right. God starts rebuking him. Right. Like it's like up to a point, God just allows him to vent and goes, right. you know, like that, that whole, like all of the circumstances playing out for Job, his kids dying, all of his, yep. all of his wealth, all of his stuff just disappearing. And then of course, you know, kids are even worse than that. Like his kids dying. Um, and he just, he just, he just starts venting. He just yeah. takes it to God. Well, at some point he crosses a line and God says, well, where were you when I formed the earth? Like That's he, right. God brings the rebuke. So somewhere in there, he crossed the line. Um, and God had to rebuke him for where it was up to that point. There was a lot of like leeway mm-hmm. where, where God was not rebuking him for it. So right. like, I, I think there's, I would say just err on the side of even what that main point of, of one of the main points of the sermon yesterday was from Psalm four, like, you know, we're, we're given permission to ask the hard questions. We're given permission to have the hard emotions and to take all of that stuff to God and to, and to process uh, those things, not apart from God and then try to bring him uh, the kind of finished version, but to actually take the raw reality of things to mm-hmm. him as we are. 
So I'd say vertically, that's, that's where to work it out. Um, yeah, horizontally between myself and another person, um, man, um, it, you know, I think you have to really wrestle deeply with the kind of words you say um, to people. Um, God is God. And so he doesn't get swept up into our anger or like, you know, wounded by our anger the way another yeah. person would. He's not easily um, offended. Yeah. So I think there's, I think there's a lot of caution to be exercised there. And at the same time, if you have a real and honest relationship with someone, there's going to be um, sinless and sinful anger that passes back and forth um, between people. So um, maybe some of what to kind of pull in here would be to say um, the perspective that's really helpful in relationships, horizontal relationships between myself and another person is that you are in a marriage in close friendships, uh, parenting, you are going to be an instrumental part of God's sanctifying work in another person's life. You're going to be, you're going to, that's going to be part of what God uses you to do. Mm-hmm. Um, this person actually referenced this because it comes from a past conversation I've had with them about how I've used the analogy in marriage about, you know, how a spouse becomes the anvil on which God hammers out the imperfections of the other spouse. So maybe, maybe thinking specifically here, we could, we could look at the way our spouse, um, their sin, their imperfections affect us yeah. and become really angry and bitter. <clears throat> that like, why do I have to deal with all that? Why yeah. do, why am I have to sit front row to all of your stuff and not just sit front row, but why is all your stuff affecting me so much? Yeah. You've got these issues going on in your life. You've got whatever. And like, that's all that's making my life harder. It's making my life. And I think, you know, that's where we're saying the, the perspective of saying I'm, I'm, I'm being used by God to work out someone else's sanctification here helps you fight against the anger and, and maybe this is where the redirection of the reframing comes and always re- reminds you that you actually, in a marriage especially, um, it's you and your spouse against the sin that so easily entangles, yeah. against the sin yeah. that is seeking to corrupt each of you. <clears throat> yeah. It's not spouse versus spouse. Yeah. It's, it's spouse and spouse fighting the sin that, that's even affecting the two of them. Yeah. And that's the reframing aspect of it. Cause you get really angry at your spouse. If you just think about the way their anger and their sin patterns affect you. Yeah. But if you can reframe it and go, <clears throat> I'm actually meant to be used by God for their sanctification. They're meant to be used by God for mine. Yeah. We are partners together in God, in God transforming us one degree of glory to another. Yeah. And man, I think it's, it's Keller that maybe quotes CS Lewis in this, but talks about just like, if you could just get a vision of what your spouse would look like um, when they're fully perfected, when they're fully with, you know, when they're with Jesus forever, resurrected body, glorified, no more sin involved. Um, and you, you would look at your life in that process. If you could keep that vision in front of your eyes in the day to day, you would, you would say, wow, like I, 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 I always knew that's, that's what God was going to, Mm-hmm. turn you into mm-hmm. this, this perfected version of yourself. Mm-hmm. I think that's a real antidote for, for anger. I, I think that's really, really well said. And, um, <laughs> spoiler alert, that alert, that's like really hard. Oh my God. That's like so hard. Oh my God. Right? Like, because what's going to happen yeah. is, you know, in, in a marriage or relationship of any kind, this idea of like, we're on the same team battling the sin. Yep, we can write that down, and it should actually be the approach we have. And we can experience that. 
the day-to-day building of that yep. is like really hard work. Yep. Um, and because what you're going to do is you're going to offend your son, your 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 spouse, right. your wife, your wife to your husband. Sure, you're going to offend friends. Yeah, and so this like constant like commitment to um, reconciliation. Yep, seeking to understand, forbearance. Yep, humility, forgiveness. Like, yep. it's so hard. <laughs> It's just really hard, so, you know. Yeah, if, if anything I said made it seem like that was an easy thing to do. You did, and I just want to make sure that. Yeah. Yeah. No, right. it's not an easy thing to do. And, yeah, and it, I mean, it literally it literally takes, um, you, you actually have to say that out loud sometimes to each other. Like, hey, I'm not I'm not your enemy in this. Yeah. I, and you're not my, you know, maybe it's harder to say, you're not my enemy in this. I see that. But where I'm experiencing you is that, you know, is is I'm getting angry because what I'm feeling is this. And I'm, right. I'm, tr- I'm struggling to believe that we're on the same team working for the same thing and against the same enemy, yeah. which is not each other. Yeah. And it's, yeah. yeah, that is hard, man. That's right. That's good. There's a great, um, I, I tried to look up the quote real quick, couldn't find it. There's a great, uh, what I find to be like a moving picture of that in the player raising in the sun. You read mm-hmm. that? I, a long time ago, man. Where you, ha- time you have the, you have, you have a, the son of the family trying to, do his best to use their limited resources mm. to make a dream come true. And he completely fails. Huh. And I won't, I didn't find the quote quickly enough, but um, should have it more accessible. It's, it's just a really good moment where his sister's so upset with him huh. and really just accuses him of everything of which he's a failure for the family. And his mother just offends him, huh. even recognizing that in his failure, like, like we're we're still in the same family mm. and there's something about like the greatest tragedy is actually for him and his failure and not for us. Mm-hmm. And so this idea of like failure, and I think in some ways the metaphor there being like this broken world is yeah. what we're what we're against. Yeah. Um now there's of course ways in which failure can be the result of unwise choices. For and sure. so like we don't always forbear with every relational dynamic we have. For sure. Yeah. Weeks ago we talked about what do we do with that friend who like is just Using yes. abusing kindness, right? Yes. So it's, I'm not addressing that, right? We draw these other lines, but um, you're right. This, I, it's it's us being united, maybe a way that um, it's been helpful for Abby and I in our years of marriage. It's like yeah. this idea of just going, "Hey, remember we're on the same team at the beginning of the argument." Yes. <laughs> hey, uh, spoiler alert! Open it up. With the that. kings might argue every now and then. Okay, <laughs> um, we're doing some premarital counseling right now. This just in. <laughs> like 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 everyone, like, doing, yeah, like everyone, exactly right. The kings are just like you, just like you all, everybody. I'm looking hard at the microphone, um, but this idea of we're on, like let's not have to rebuild the trust every time. Yep. we're in an argument. Like sure. we're, let's start on the foundation. Yeah, that we are. Yeah, right. On we're the same, together. we're pulling together, it's and now what thing. is yep. the thing that we're really attacking? Yep. Even though one of us may be bringing that sure uniquely. So That's anyway. Good. Um, circularly, did we talk about that one? Maybe not. That's like the sin anger against myself. Yeah. So the only thing that comes to mind there, this would relate maybe to all three of them is expectations versus reality of life. So like anger often comes because something plays out differently than we thought it should or expected that it would. Mm. And we get really bitter about that. We get bitter toward God. We can get bitter toward other people when there's other people horizontally involved. Um, we can also just kind of go into a despairing, generally angry place. We can just kind of like uh, absorb the frustration internally, and um, and yeah, probably probably the most. I mean, I, 
probably just become really bitter. Like probably just become a, a really bitter person out of the anger. Yeah. Um, most of the time scripture talks about sinning against yourself. It has to, it has to talk more about like sexual immorality. Like that, the passages coming to my mind off the top of my head right now are that, that, that anger isn't necessarily a sin that's described as one we have against ourself. So yeah. I'm, I guess I'm maybe struggling out of those three vectors with that one the most. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess what I would say is to, um, you know, the, the already and the not yet of the fact that, that this life is going to be a, a life in which the kingdom of God is already at hand and has broken through. And we're going to get to taste glimpses of the beauty of the kingdom of God, yep. having pushed back the darkness. Yep. And then also still more darkness that hasn't <clears throat> been pushed back yet and won't be pushed back yet until Christ comes again, full consummation of his kingdom. So, so you have to have in all of life, the expectations that suffering will be part of it. Pain and tragedy will be part of it. Um, does not make it at all easier. But if you are surprised by, you will be surprised by maybe the specific things that you have to go through in your life. But generally speaking, if you're surprised that life is not, you know, like Paul Miller talks about this really well in his book, J curve, that we think life should just go from like life to resurrection Hmm, and life is always life through death to resurrection. That's the shape of the J J, J curve. Um, we have to just build in expectations that life over and over, you know, is, is life through death to resurrection. Yeah. That's the trajectory of our whole life. And that's, there's many J's yep. all the way through that. Yeah. That's good. It's good. Um, maybe a, a final few moments just to wrap this up. Yeah. Um, not a, not a question. I had a good conversation with, with someone who didn't really bring specific questions, but just, I, I think it will be good ongoing conversation and we'll, we should have this with a lot of people and you will have this in Bible study. So maybe a takeaway from that conversation would be, um, and I, I, you talked about this a little bit before, as we talk about this in Bible studies, mm. right? Russell with this, um, generally, as we go into the goodness of God series, yeah. you may find yourself, if anything we said in the podcast was helpful so far, that's great. As you have questions, keep asking them. Part of what we're identifying is like this, like deconstruction piece. I don't want to use that word in a, in a way that's not helpful, but just like sure. reframing what we really believe about God's yeah. goodness. Letting the assumptions fall away. Yeah. Let them fall away. And Part of that is to really seek to understand the perspectives that we'll each bring in our Bible studies. Yeah. And so if you find yourself in a Bible study, um, well, one, find yourself hopefully being willing to share where you've wrestled with God's goodness. Yep. Um, And if you're someone hearing someone else share that and you're not quite sure what to do with that. Yeah. Because I do think something that resonated with me is, you know, we we can have circles in our in our church I mean, sure, I think we can hear it at liberty. I mean, the church yeah. um, and in Christianity generally, where we don't love to talk about the really hard things and the questioning of God's goodness. Yeah. It can make us uncomfortable for reasons we don't make us uncomfortable or we just don't, we don't, we're so quickly glossing over it in our lives mm-hmm. that we don't sit with anger and resentment or doubt or fear yeah. or tragedy or discouragement mm-hmm. and so much more. Um, so when we hear that in Bible studies, if, I, I'd encourage us, like, listen, listen, ask a question, yeah. seek to understand. Yeah. Because um, I think this series will be filled with weeks now of us really needing to not treat our Bible studies as show up, turn on, be there for an hour and a half, turn off. Like, we can be, I, I've, I'm just talking for myself now. Um, I think I can sometimes approach Bible study that way. Sure. It's like, yep, sure. I'm going to go treat it as a little bit like an appointment. 
get there, talk about that stuff in that time, time's over, leave, my life continues. Yeah. Um, and it's really just the hour and a half that I'm together or maybe the time of prepping, the time of praying in between mm-hmm. that I'm really giving to the topic, to the study. This is a topic and a study that should really make us pause right. for our own presuppositions, but also to seek and understand how others are wrestling with this. Because this is really, I, I think if we do that, the goodness of God is going to pull a lot out of us. It should. It's really good. It's really good. And a chance to, to the point yesterday about, you know, David is talking to his friends and how much we need community to learn how to trust the goodness of God. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I would say it would be the wrong expectation to go into your studies and, and try to like tie nice bows on, yeah, on things every yeah, week. Well said. Yep. And when you, when you hear someone share something that is vulnerable about the way they've wrestled with this, don't, don't leave them hanging with that. Like, sure. Um, yeah. like you, yeah. in the moment, even if you have no idea what to say, and sometimes it's better to not say anything like Job's friends. Yeah. If you more, don't know. Yeah. Right. Like if you don't know, actually it's better to like not say anything. If you right. just have like a, don't start a sentence without knowing where it's going to go. Right? <laughs> or, or if you just try I do that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with that? Um, but no, like, you, you know, if you, if you don't, yeah, if you really don't know what to say, or if you just if your mind comes to just like a quick cliche platitude, you just want to slap a verse on it and solve it. Yeah. I would say don't don't say that. You can always say things like, Wow, I I would love to think about that more and how I could maybe respond. Thank you so much for the vulnerability that it is to to share that in this moment. Uh I really appreciate that you're willing to like to share that with our group. Um and I'm I'm maybe wrestling with even how to what to say or how to respond. I just want you to know, I like, I, I hear that. Yeah. I think, I think something like that just acknowledges that a person has done something hard, but doesn't <clears throat> rush to a conclusion to tie a nice bow on it. Yeah. And then the big thing would be, and it's not, you know, you, you can, you can walk this out with your, your Bible study group, but like follow up with people that share stuff like yeah. that in groups. Don't leave yeah. them hanging. Don't, right. Um, right. don't like, you know, don't leave them hanging, follow up, send a text message, you know, after the study and, and you know, whatever. I just, I think that stuff's, that stuff's the real relational depth aspect. And we talk about rhythms of grace, relational pursuit, one anothering. Um, do that stuff too as things surface in the series. Yeah, it's well said. All right, Matt, we fell just short of Oof. our record time. Man. Oh my goodness. We can draw it out for a couple minutes if you want. No, 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 right, no, let's, okay. no let's wrap right. it. So thank you everyone for joining this week, hanging with us to the end here. Bring, bring comments, bring questions on the sermon series. On Gentle and Lows, you start to crack that book open and start reading the chapters. Um, we'll look forward to future editions of the Liberty B-Side podcast um, and just walking through all this with you, growing in the, in the knowledge and the love of God's goodness. Yeah, absolutely. Blessings to you this week in your Bible study groups. We'll, uh, we'll see you next time around. All right. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Sermon B-Side podcast. For more resources and information about our church, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org.